So hi everyone, today in the NP studio, we have with us uh, Luke Truitt. Now, uh, before we get into any conversation, um, I have to, you know, give this man, um, you know, some merit and just introduce uh, him and his uh, many, many achievements and uh, even the pleasure that I've had of knowing him. So Luke um, is, I think now he's graduated from Duke University. He's one of the very few people, actually the only guy who I know of who triple majored at Duke. So he did a triple major in computer science, electrical and computer engineering and economics, along with a minor in mathematics. And he did that in three years. And in the fourth year, he decided to pursue a master's program in engineering management. And so he was done, you know, by the time he was uh, a senior, he was done with a bachelor's and a master's degree from Duke. Now, if that's not enough, he has led, uh, founded actually uh, so many ventures, you know, in everything from like uh, in the field of real estate to machine learning and everything, you know, that, that comes in between. Um, and just to talk a little bit about it. So he's been, uh, you know, he has worked as a biomedical engineering intern at the University of Minnesota as an insurance producer at National Agents Alliance. Uh, he's worked at a product manager uh, as a product manager at Vibe Music as a backend developer at Tyretta, as a computer vision intern at uh, General Motors, a co-founder at Spear, co-owner at Two Electronics, proje a project manager at Arco, a quantitative trader at Optiver, um, a co-founder at Phoenix, a co-owner at T2 Development, um, and uh, recently a co-founder new business and his major achievement at Duke was that he was also a co-founder of the Duke Applied Machine Learning Group, which is a really successful group at Duke with over 22 clans and $400,000 in funding. So um, thank you, Luke, for coming today. And it's, it's great talking to you. So my first question is, how do you manage your time? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the, I think, well, first of all, thank you for the, the introduction um, and good to, good to be talking to you again. Um, you know, a lot of those things were kind of um, fairly organic in how, you know, they developed um, from, uh, you know, that a couple of those that you mentioned I had started working on, um, you know, back kind of at the end of high school um, and worked on through early college, um, a lot, a lot more of the sales focused things. And, and you know, kind of before I had any uh, technical skills, um, a lot of which I picked up in college, um, you know, sales was kind of like the only thing that I really, you know, knew I could do because you could just get, it's really just working hard um, and getting out there and talking to people. Um, and so while I was looking for, for work to do, uh, you know, it, it made a lot of sense to, to go out and try to do that. So that kind of led to a couple of those things. And then, you know, freshman year at Duke, I, I got really excited about programming, both from classmates and, and classes. Right. Um, and, uh, just decided to kind of go out there and talk to a few companies that might need help and eventually was able to swing a short web development internship with one of them, picked up a few skills and then ended up just kind of like emailing a ton of places to say, like, can, I, can I hop in right. and work with you? Um, and yeah, and like you mentioned, it's, it's hard to keep kind of a lot of, you know, your time straight, but I think that one of the biggest things, you know, that you, uh, you get by, um, uh, pushing yourself to work on a ton more things as you realize what stuff really isn't necessary for you to spend your time on um, mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, you get, if you get comfortable and you are only doing, you know, uh, kind of the bare minimum uh, on, on that front, you're ending up, you know, kind of spending way too much time on say studying or trying to perfect things that you don't really need to be perfecting because the person that you're working for or working towards um, doesn't necessarily need you to do it perfectly. They just need you to get it done, whether that's studying or building a product or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of words of wisdom right there. Actually, I wanted to know what, what drove you to 
really push yourself in, in every which way possible, whether it was academics at Duke or whether it was like just doing your own stuff, because, you know, so many people maybe have the willingness to work hard, maybe have even have the competencies, but they just don't have that, you know, that inner drive. And, and more so, even if they do have a drive, it doesn't sustain for long. So how do you manage yourself to like just keep burning that midnight oil, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely the, the variety of things that makes it easy to keep going. Um, it is, it gets very tiring when you're doing the same thing over and over again, especially when you're not seeing results. Um, you know, a lot of things end up kind of fizzling out over time because you end up, you know, hitting kind of one or two roadblocks and, and it's like, okay, really, what's the point of doing this, especially right. in the context of something while you're in school or something that isn't necessarily such an immediate benefit and something that's going to pay off, you know, further down the line, it's really hard to keep going with it. But if you have, you know, a few things that you're really working towards, um, it's, it's easy to kind of flip between those and, and it keeps you, keeps you energized. But, um, I mean, I, like, I think just generally speaking, I, I, you know, like thinking that I have a pretty good, pretty good vision for myself of where I want to go. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's all about, at least for me, it's all about visualizing how all of those things kind of fit together um, and how you can, you know, see all those different uh, uh, experiences that you have and things that you learn and how they all fit into um, getting you to that point that you want to be at in the future. And everyone has a different point. I mean, it like, you know, mine maybe is not very appealing to some people and there's probably plenty others aren't very appealing to me. Right. Um, and so like, you know, you can't really fake it. I don't think um, exactly. you just got to do what you got to do. What's exciting to you, you know, definitely. It's pretty subjective and uh, also reminded me. So I was initially uh, watching a, sorry, recently watching a TED talk um, and it's given by this lady, uh, I think Amelia Wapnick, uh, I might not be getting the name right, but um, so she gave a talk on, um, you know, the fact of being a multi-potentialite and how I think that's an innate sort of like trait of every human being and, and something that current society, you know, industrial society resists in a certain sense that we are meant to do more things, more diverse things, as opposed to just drill down into one thing and just keep doing it for the rest of our lives. And so I was even listening to, you know, we were talking about the Joe Rogan experience and I was listening, uh, recently listening to an episode with the founder of AngelList, Naval Ravikant. And he was saying the same thing that, you know, we are meant to live like the Greeks, like the early Greeks in the sense that, you know, we have to experience any and everything that we have because we have one life. So how much merit do you sort of like associate to this thought or the fact of being a multi-potentialite? And do you think everyone should strive to do that? Or it's still like, a, you know, a singular person game or, you know, whatnot? Yeah, uh, super interesting. Um, you know, the, it kind of goes to me, I think about um, just artificial intelligence generally as like, right. you know, when I'm when I'm thinking about all this, because um, I think that idea of like specializing and being like the best at one thing and, um, you know, completely honing your abilities and, and um, uh, you know, kind of like the idea of uh, making a pencil, right? Everybody is perfects their part of, in the process and then out comes right. a pencil at the other end makes a lot of sense for things like manufacturing that do have a concrete, you do this, and then we're going to get that done later. Um, but as more and more things become automated and hopefully in the future, you know, with things like artificial intelligence and improved robotics and things like that, that a lot more of those manual processes, those uh, kind of uh, redundant and, and boring things are going to end up being automated away. Um, mm -hmm. It, it kind of leaves room for only creative thinking and only the ability for people who are multidisciplined um, to be able to actually, you know, make a, make change um, and make things better. Now, does every should everybody be doing that? I, I don't think so. I don't think anybody has to do that. Um, I do think that you know it depends on again depends on what you want uh, out of life. But I, I definitely think you know I've heard that before too. You got to focus up. You got to be you know 
get really good at one thing and then, you know, go make an impact with that one thing. But um, both because our world is so, you know, interconnected, all these different things, right? Economics is very connected to computer science now, right? And the stuff that I'm working on cryptocurrencies very much shows that. Um, And then also with things like machine learning playing huge role in in things like biology, right? Never would thought that would be so important. Um, You can very much see how uh, people who are multidisciplined can have an outsized impact. Um, but right, there's still room for folks who are um, very focused and probably still for a while, they'll be the more successful um, on average, just because the world is still very geared towards that. I mean, you look at kind of highest paying jobs out there and they're very much focused on at the highest paying, but the highest paying, especially entry level jobs, right? They're very much right. focused on um, people just getting their stuff done, doing Not, what they're right. able to do, right? Here's your objective, hit this objective. Mm-hmm. Um and go with that instead of trying to figure out what is it, what's a good objective and trying to, you know, figure out um, that part of it, which is probably a little bit more difficult to, to decide. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. And also talking about, I think, you know, you've touched upon AI quite a bit and you've been working in that field for now so long. Right. Um, so I've, I've recently gotten like really interested into this field and it's many, many applications because practically you could automate any mechanical process through AI. Right. And then, as you said, there'll, there'll be only room for creative thinking because we still haven't reached that frontier where we have what's called general artificial intelligence. Um, so like, you know, an AI that can program itself or like that can create code. Um, there's two sides to this argument, which I was really interested in knowing what your thoughts are about. Um, so there's one side of people, you know, who say that the day we reach general AI, um, that will essentially be the doom of mankind because then, you know, an AI or, or any, any manifestation of it will just see us as a glitch in the matrix, you know, will just see us as, as some mistake, a bug that it has to fix. Um, and so we, we'll just, you know, end up losing all our control to it. And on the other side, people say that, you know, technological progress, and that is meant to happen because that is how we might carry forth a civilization. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love it generally. Like, I love the, the debate. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could look at it. Uh, I, I tend to look at it in the way that, um, you know, we're all, it, it's both something that we are, we are creating. Um, and something that uh, um, we have control over, at least for now, how, how it is trained, if that makes sense. So right. um, saying that we are, it's going to view us as a glitch in the matrix. So we're going to be, you know, kind of the like um, the movies. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like the Terminator, right? Everything is going to come and destroy us because we're bad, right? That I think that's making a lot of assumptions, both about what, you know, GAI would would assume is is the case about us and to what like you know general artificial intelligence goal is going going to be um i tend not to get too caught up in that part of it because i think that 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 we're still so far away from that that i think Mm -hmm. that once we kind of got closer that that that's something that you'd have to probably be careful of right is if you're going to be building something that's going to think for itself um the same way that all of us have different goals and different things that we want to work for um, I mean, it should be the same, right? Of some sort of, of higher that, level artificial intelligence, right? right? So like, we got to make sure that whatever that thing's working towards, it's in our best interest. But I was actually talking about this uh, with somebody yesterday is like, um, you know, that problem being solved is like the ultimate problem, right? Like exactly. if you're able to build that thing um, to, to that, that thought like that, and it, and it didn't want to destroy us, um, that would probably solve kind of all the problems that we have right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, in that regard, I kind of am like, well, I don't think it's worth shutting down all that progress out of a fear of all those assumptions um, becoming, you know, the thing that you don't want. It's like, what is the compounded probability that all those things are true? 
Um, it's pretty small. So um, definitely <laughs> long-term excited about it. Um, but of course, uh, heed warnings where I can. I mean, you see Elon Musk, right? He's like the guy who's been the most outspoken. Oh, artificial intelligence is going to destroy society. And he's one of the most like, like progressive people on the technology side of it, right? With OpenAI and Tesla. And, and the mod that they just released. Exactly. So it's like, okay, does he really think it's going to destroy the world when he's like mm. pushing it forward all the time? I don't think he does. I think he thinks right. that if we can build it in the right way, it'll be fine. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and just, you know, just for our listeners, if you could just throw a little bit of light on the field in general, you know, there's so many people who, you know, AI now has become this sort of a cool term, you know, where people just like to throw it around without actually having understood it and, and the intricacies of it, you know, whether it's regression and all these other technical components that go with it. So if you were to simply explain what the industry looks like and where is it heading, you know, what would you say to maybe someone who doesn't know, you know, generally what the nitty gritties are? Yeah, I mean, so there's obviously kind of two huge components of it, which are both the research uh, on corporate and and uh, academic sides, and then the commercialization of it. Um, you've seen, I think, the more uh, crazy and exciting things that have come out of uh, of the field are on the research side. You know, you see like the Boston Scientific Robots and backflips and. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the GPT three, you know, that's like a very, it, it's somewhat commercialized, but really it's, it's, uh, an academic thing. Um, and then a lot of the, the frontier stuff that's going to get us to that general artificial intelligence point still are all in the lab somewhere. They're not out there being built. Um, right. and so I think like that's kind of the first breakdown is looking at research versus commercialization. Um, and then on the commercialization side, um, you have all the things that, that we get to use, right? Like the computers that we're using right now have a lot of that, uh, have a lot of the stuff that's been researched over the last 20, 30 years built into them to make, you know, our Zoom more, uh, uh, Zoom experience better. And then things like self-driving cars or more specifically, just like, you know, lane assist and things like that, that all come from it. And when I was working at General Motors, you know, that's another example of the commercialization of that where, um, well, it started on the self-driving car side, but then I ended up going and working uh, in a manufacturing plant where I did a bunch of computer vision work to detect errors, right? And oh. it's like not using any cutting edge computer vision, yeah. right? We use like out of the box Python to do it, um, but it worked awesome. It worked so much better than the old tools that they used to do it. Uh, and so you kind of see like a very clear trickle down from like, okay, there's a ton of math and a ton of work that goes into building right. these packages, understanding them fundamentally, like you said, all the different fields within it, regression, you know, uh, deep learning, things that are a little bit less, um, a little bit less math heavy. And you end up kind of taking those, finding the things that can be generalized and building them into packages that, you know, people like us can use uh, to go do like pretty interesting things with. Um, and so when we're thinking about general artificial intelligence that, you know, we still have a long way to go from a commercialization standpoint. Um, but when we're talking about use cases that wouldn't have been possible, you know, 10, 15 years ago, yeah. there's yeah. a lot that we can do just as like casual developers um, with machine learning. Uh, and it's super, super exciting, super interesting, but I'm still very much excited for the day when uh, some more advanced stuff becomes uh, Usable. Mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, you touched a lot upon, you know, computer vision and autonomous cars and all that. And that really sounds cool, especially for like a, you know, vehicle nerd like me. I really like talking about that stuff. Um, and until recently, because I had never, you know, been in a Tesla before, but I drove one and, you know, to just see it in action, you know, just to see it drive itself and, and you know, without any errors and all of that, it's really nice. But 
you know, there's, there's edge cases to everything. So for instance, uh, let's say there's one incident with one Tesla car, you know, maybe just like, you know, banks another car a bit, and then that's sort of exaggerated in the media and uh, taken, you know, as the fact that, oh, AI is harmful, it's going to kill us and all of that. Um, do you think that such edge cases, you know, form roadblocks to, to like the rate of progress that we should be making as a species? Or, or do you think that that is required so that we need to have some sort of a regulation, you know, like at some point so that we are not too carried away by our willingness to create these new technologies? Yeah, well, I think that's probably more of an ethical question. I think like the um, like from a pure like rational standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, you look at uh, what I would do is look at the probability that one of those edge cases happens times the probability that something bad happens when those edge cases happen like to the person, right? So maybe you get like some expected value of, of people killed or injuries or whatever the case may be, some, some monetary value. Um, and then you look at how much slower uh, right, the, the rate of technological progress is because of all of that. And you say, okay, imagine if we did have fully self-driving cars everywhere by now, because we weren't worried about those edge cases, would total number of traffic fatalities today be exceptionally lower because now all of these cars are self-driving when right. we've had to delay ourselves for so long and we probably will continue to for another 10 years at least um, because of those edge cases. And you say, wow, we could have been saving, you know, 40,000 lives a year in the U.S., by not having as many traffic fatalities because every car is self-driving. Um, but, you know, we're saving maybe, you know, 50, 60 lives right now by not doing that, right? It's like the same thing. One death is a, a headline and a thousand deaths are a statistic or something like that. Exactly, right. <laughs> so it's hard to balance those two. And it's very clear how normal people, and I say normal people, I'm, I generally mean government media, would think about that as a trade-off. Um, but I do think from like a, a purely philosophical argument perspective, I could totally see a scenario in which you just say, nah, screw edge cases, we're just going to go for it. And in 10 years, we'll all be happy that, you know, we did that. Exactly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And especially the fact that you said that, you know, like how, how unjustifiable is the fact that, you know, like one, one incident is brought in, into so much light, but then you have so many of these incidents, which are not, uh, and there are just statistics. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting to think about. And maybe there, there's a time for governments and like all these authorities that regulate all these, you know, artificial intelligence metrics to really be more rational uh, in a sense, uh, because all in all, you know, you're improving the scenario as a whole uh, over time. And so that has to be something that has to be looked at positively. Uh, or else we wouldn't have any of the innovation that we now have, you know, where there was yeah. like, imagine if the first time, you know, the airplane was flown and it crashed and it did crash. Imagine if then they were like, oh my God, you know, there's a death. Now we exactly. can't fly airplanes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Another thing that I was recently um, interested in talking about, um, and this is both from a philosophical and a technical standpoint, is that I was watching this really popular documentary on Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma. I think, you know, if you've seen that. I think I've uh, seen that, the privacy. Big yes, yeah. yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes that and how it's it's basically you know like they're disguised as like whistleblowers for the company but they basically yeah. talk about what's happening you know the true picture so um it was a bit scary to find out that you know the actual sort of like controllers or the influencers or people who actually shape human behavior are the people who create these algorithms at big tech companies um and there's this whole movement going on on how all these systems all these big tech systems and media systems need to be completely decentralized and there's linkages with crypto as well because now that you've been working in that space i just wanted to know what you think about that in general you know about that industry in general and about yeah stuff. yeah um you know, you know, there's a there's a little movement going on with one of the 
decentralized finance protocols to build a fully decentralized social media. Twitter is also building decentralized social media. Well, they're not building it, but Jack Dorsey is very heavily involved in it, uh, Blue Sky. But they, um, I, you know, I totally understand the, you know, this, how like that, that is very scary that there is kind of like this ability for people to manipulate, you know, the psychology of so many people. Um, and, you know, it's you know, the last year or two years, since I guess maybe 2016, right? It's been like a very a forefront of everything of how social media impacts the way that we all view information, we view truth, we view people that we know, um, and we view pop culture. But um, yeah, I don't think I necessarily believe that that would be fixed by making it decentralized. I think it's like an extraordinarily hard problem. I think the thing that does get fixed by making it decentralized is censorship. Um, but it doesn't feel like to me censorship is necessarily the biggest problem. Um, you know, like when you say taking, you know, whether it's uh, deciding who gets to censor something or deciding, you know, what should be censored, like all, all of those questions are really, I think, difficult to answer. And, and maybe they would be better answered by saying nobody should get censored and nobody should, you know, whatever the case may be there. Yeah. Um, but I don't think on the side of like, you know, uh, uh, influencing pop culture and, and allowing people to kind of like fall into these traps of using uh, an app you know, all the time. And I think that movie references a lot of suicide numbers from, uh, from people and things like that. Like, I don't think that gets changed uh, with decentralization, especially because I think it's just going to, um, if anything, decentralization is going to lead it to be more what people want um, than, than less. And it's going to be less people watching out for other people. And it's going to be like, you guys do whatever you want. Right. And uh, I think we've seen with Instagram and Twitter and all these things that what people want is usually not necessarily what's best for them um, from a, uh, like a mental health perspective or some and things like that. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, one of those people who thinks like decentralizing everything is going to you know, fix, fix it. Uh, right. But I also don't necessarily think that big tech should, should take it upon themselves to um, fix those problems either. Uh, yeah, be righteous, that, you know, just like in, in a certain sense. Of yeah, I don't necessarily like the idea that they get to be all big brothery and tell me what's best for me, right? But, you know, somebody somebody probably should because I don't want to be thinking about what's best for me. I just want to, you know, live my life and do the things that I'm good at and not really worry about um, making all those educated decisions. But, you know, right now I have to do that. Otherwise, who's uh, who else is going to do it for me? So, exactly. um, yeah. Yeah, th it's interesting because... Um, <laughs> there's this really popular sort of it's kind of like a joke that's going on that you know twitter should actually have two twitters right so they should have one which is the the full you know like free speech they get to control who's there who's not there you know sort yeah. of like kind of left you know uh, on that political spectrum and then the other one's just wild west twitter when anyone <laughs> can write anything completely decentralized you know everyone controls everything um but yeah i see what your argument is because like people functioning as a collective, you know, as like one entity in a decentralized platform, that's essentially what it is. It, it wouldn't like solve the problem because it's not like, you know, in economics, we learn about Adam Smith's freehand, you know, and, and how the market will always settle at an equilibrium. It's not always like that, right? Because this might be a positive sum game. It might be a negative sum game. What if everyone just wants bad things? You know, what if insults are like really exaggerated on these platforms? We don't know where it will go. So yeah, that's yeah. also super interesting. Now, uh, talk to me about how, um, you know, do you see like, because I think you've worked in a lot of different industries. I was looking at your profile and you've done biomedical engineering work, you've done trading, you know, you've done computer vision, machine learning, entrepreneurship, all of that. 
um and i'm you know as a person i'm also really interested in like you know connecting dots and when two dots that have not been connected before two fields that have not been connected before they do end up connecting that really gives me a sense of satisfaction do you think there's a possibility that there's like a web of linkages between every field out there like randomness like biology and maybe like you know um computer vision and like uh, you know so many different permutations there but do you think that it is a possibility that we'll be able to connect every possible field every possible permutation out there oh yeah 100% definitely awesome um i mean i've i, I don't know i i guess i've i've tried out a lot of different things and, and i don't think there's ever been a time that uh something that i've done before hasn't been useful for the next thing that i'm doing um and they have, have been very distributed i mean like you said even a biomedical engineering internship that i did a long time ago um uh, there's still little things that will pop up they'll be like oh that's right and then i'll go and you know be able to kind of apply some of those learnings and while they're not as direct uh in, in necessarily for me i do think across the board like there are always going to be cases where um one field can be you know, used to uh, improve, improve the research and all, you know, kind of all other fields, regardless of how apparently tangential they are. That, uh, that does make sense. Um, also, another argument that I wanted to talk about is, um, is, and I think because we touched upon it before was, uh, was about algorithmic bias, right? Um, I've been reading on a few articles and also read about this researcher at MIT, who's perhaps like figuring out like all her life, uh, all she wanted to figure out is like, how to create an algorithm that eventually by learning itself through ML models and whatnot will not be biased. Um, what are your thoughts on algorithmic bias? And do you feel that it can be eliminated to its core at any point of time? Like, um, I mean, my thoughts on it generally are, yeah, def definitely massive problem. Um, but I don't know that it can necessarily be uh, completely mitigated ever, um, at least not in the way that we're doing a lot of the, this, this kind of work now. Um, I think that, uh, just the idea of requiring um, past data to predict future data generally is going to lead to um, uh, kind of like a, a repetition of the past and the future, like, al like almost by definition, it has to. Um, and because the past is never perfect, uh, you're always going to have imperfection replicated in the future, which is kind of to the point of like, okay, um, if, if that's the case, then uh, why are we trying to do everything by making the past predict the future? Right. Um, and I think that it is, it's a reasonable question. And I actually think that, you know, that's why probably the, the type of machine learning or the type of artificial intelligence that ends up getting that point that we talked about earlier, um, of, of kind of being that all seeing eye of the world, uh, is probably not going to be deep learning. Um, it, it'll probably be something a little bit more creative, I was talking to a guy, Duke grad, uh, who is up at, um, I think he's in Harvard's uh, Harvard grad program now, uh, doing um, biological uh, uh, machine learning work. So trying to replicate some of the brain's wow. direct function into algorithms that can be replicated. So it's instead of trying to say, okay, have all this old data, let's you know, give it to a, a massive algorithm. And then next piece of data that comes through from the future, Let's see what the algorithm says the past would have done, basically. Um, this is more saying, okay, how would our brain learn about this thing? You know, like if you see a coaster like this, like that's a coaster. And we know that after the first time we see it, right? You don't need to give right. me a thousand of these pictures for me to know that this is a coaster. Right. Um, and so how, how can you replicate some of that same thinking uh, in, in artificial intelligence instead of trying to just you know, feed a bunch of old stuff? And I think that's how we eventually eliminate 
lot of that algorithmic bias is instead of saying what's the past and going to tell me about the future, it's like what is happening right now and how can I critically think about that? How can a computer critically think about that? That's so interesting, especially the fact that, you know, your brain can literally sort of like envision all these things. Um, also, another thing that I wanted to touch upon, and especially from you, is, um, you know, you've done a lot of work as a student in college. Um, just wanted to know, do you recommend everyone to go out there and do something on, of their own? Or, or like, you know, they should just follow the conventional path and, you know, do a job or whatnot. But like, just wanted to know your thoughts on that. As a college student, how would you pave your own path and maybe just a few suggestions for others? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were saying before, right? It's all about your own goals and what you want um, out of life and stuff, which I totally, you know, not, not everything is for everyone. But I will say, um, you know, a lot of people fall into a, a trap of thinking that the way of doing things uh, that everybody else is or that they think that they should do them uh, definitely leads to suboptimal life decision making. Um, and you end up being a lot slower and a lot um, uh, more unhappy than you would be if you were to spend some time actually thinking about what you cared about and realized, uh, you know, that you can go out there and you can, you know, make room for yourself in the world instead of just kind of playing by everybody else's rules. Um, and, and that all being said, uh, I obviously grew up um, in, a, in a more privileged position, you know, I, I don't have to uh, necessarily worry about as many of the things um, that, that some folks do. And there's certainly security uh, in a lot of the normal path, uh, which, which can't really be um, discounted for, for a lot of people. But I think if you have the opportunity or you have the, the you know, the willingness to take the risk, um, I think that there is a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity out there that's not the conventional path, you know, whether that's, you know, you want to go start your own thing. Awesome. I would highly encourage trying to do that. Right. If you want to, um, uh, you know, go work at a company, or you want to pick a role that you're really interested in for a reason, figure out what that reason is for real. Um, and then don't necessarily just go, you know, sit in your fall recruiting sessions and then email your recruiter six times get into your interviews, cry a bunch if you don't get the interviews or exactly. if you fail the interview and then, you know, you get the job and you're like so thrilled and it becomes your identity. Like that whole process that's true for like 90% of the kids at Duke, um, it, it's not like the best one, right? That's just what everybody is, is just kind of working towards because everybody else is um, or because that's they true. want the money, which is also a very valid uh, reason to do things. But um, if you're, uh, you know, if you're out there looking for somebody to work for, like just send emails to companies you think are cool, but there are always people like, especially, you know, if you're at Duke, but really if you're at college anywhere, and even if you're not in college, like people want your help, like your work is extremely valuable time. to people. Right. So if you can just say, okay, this is what I want and this is why I want it email people who are like right up your alley, find a, you know, startup that's just raised like 10 million bucks and say, yo, like, Hey, I really want to work for you. Like I'll do whatever you need. Or I want to do PM work. I want to do machine learning research, like whatever it is, just find people who are like right there on the ground doing exactly what it is you want to do instead of trying to just generalize it and kind of take the easy way out of it, which is to say like, you know, just go do what everyone else is doing. That's so true. And, and, you know, can't say more for myself in the sense that uh, really just sending an email or just making that first step 
um, you know, so many people don't do that. And that's what differentiates them. Because like, even for me, um, I did the same thing as you did, right? Like I've been emailing, like I think I must have sent like, what, like 2,000, 3,000 emails. Like everyone, and, and if I find something that's interesting, I just look it up and, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the internet. Like most, I think 90 to 95% of the information out there is public and it is meant to be so, so that, you know, you can facilitate all these connections. And I have to tell you, like, you know, maybe like eight out of 10 times or nine out of 10 times, even as a freshman in college, someone does reply because as you said, you know, your work is valued and there's always people who need help with things because collaboration is, is, you know, it's a, it's a known, um, uh, just like a known talent. So really makes, makes a lot of sense with that. Um, and right before we end this, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, um, any, I mean, A, what does your future look like from here? Like, what are you currently working on? And B, any parting thoughts and just like what this generation should, you know, strive towards or maybe like what your peers are doing or whatever you have, you know, don't want to label it. But Yeah, well, um, yeah, it was great. It was great talking to you too. I, I very much appreciate you reaching out. I know we hadn't, we haven't talked in a while. And yeah, actually, I don't even know if we even met in person. I feel we like haven't. with COVID, it's been a little weird, but. But we have to. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, if I New come York. back down to Durham. I'm, yeah, I'm in New York. So if you're ever looking for a, I think there's a train up from Durham. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, so so right now, um, kind of working on uh, in the cryptocurrency space, like you mentioned. Um, and uh, yeah, you said founder of new business. So I just... I don't want to you know, put too much out there yet until I've, right. until I've done something. So I'm just waiting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so after the Phoenix project kind of wrapped up um, and was sold to major league hacking, uh, if you're familiar with them. Um, yes. I've heard of them. Yeah. And that was a big, that was a great thing. And that's how you, I mean, you also worked for major league hacking as well. Right. I mean, after that. Yeah. So after, after that, we, we transitioned the program over to them. So stayed on there for a little while. Uh, and then when we were done with that, um, we were uh, approached by a venture capital firm that was looking for a way to um, incubate more companies. Um, and we were like, hey, we're really interested in doing something in finance. Um, and can we come or and they were like, can you want to come and be what's called entrepreneurs in residence uh, with wow. us, um, which was basically like they funded our company. And we just hung out and talked with them like a couple of times a week. Yeah. Um, and so we did that for like, I don't know, maybe six months uh, earlier this year uh, while we were just kind of like, you know, trying out a bunch of different finance ideas. We did some like kind of more traditional finance and then we got really interested in crypto. Um, the, yeah, most of the traditional finance stuff isn't really that exciting just because it's like pretty limiting uh, as to what you can do. Like it's really straightforward. Um, but this new world of crypto uh, has a lot of open space and a lot of crazy things that are happening. Some good, some bad. Um, and so, yeah, so kind of over the last like three or four months, we've been working on a few different uh, ideas uh, in cryptocurrency. Our goal here for 2021 uh, is to come out of it kind of with a, a firm plan for um, a, uh, like a real scalable business idea, raise some money and, and kind of go from there. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to try to try to do all this stuff. It's a very, uh, um, like new space. Like there's not a lot of like support right. materials, you know, with artificial intelligence and, and all that, there's like a lot of like other researchers and like, uh, materials online to read about, like with this, it's, a little bit more new and a lot of it is kind of fake. Uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. Space, yeah. Even know. yeah. Um, so, so there's that. And then, yeah, a couple other little things kind of going on on the side, but, um, for the most part, uh, that's, yeah, that's how I'm spending my time, but I guess I would say just, uh, yeah, you said in closing, um, 
do just find out what you really care about and just just do that like what are the skill what's the skill or what are the skills that you want to get better at what is the thing you want to be true in five years and 10 years um and just like say screw it to everything else and just critically think about how to get to that point in a way that that actually will get you there instead of just kind of being like well you know this is what all these other people are doing so i'm going to go do that or this is what uh is fastest easiest way of making the most money uh, way to get there. If you if you have the ability to do it uh, and you have the um, you know the opportunity to do it, I would 100% recommend you going off the beaten path um, and trying to figure it out for yourself. That's that's amazing. And um, and and yeah, just to to add on to that, you know, I was told by I think we had a chat about it, and also by a lot of my other upperclassmen friends who now in retrospect feel that they they should have done a lot more than they did, or a lot different than what they did. Is they said that the younger you are, the lesser you have to lose, and so you really don't <laughs> have any you know any collateral uh, that you have to like, stack exactly. up or something. So just go out there and do whatever you want. And uh, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us today, Luke. And you guys stay tuned for the next episode of the NP Studio. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.